Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Braver Life Show. I'm your host, Angela Marie Williams. As an entrepreneur and success coach, my mission is to empower you to realize your dreams and potential through transformational experiences. The purpose of this show is to inspire your positive change by learning from a community of those paving the way to a bigger, braver life. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me and my wonderful guest on the Bigger Braver Life Show. My name is Angela Williams. I am your coach, and I'm so excited to support you in feeling more inspired, more confident, more clear, and have more conviction on the work that you're doing in this world. Welcome today. I'm so excited to have Rory Geller Muhammad. She is a fellow licensed clinical social worker. Yes, Yes, she is. I'm so happy to have her today. We met in a group for entrepreneurs, and I love the work that she does. So Rory is the founder of the business You Power Change and is the host of the Racially Responsible Podcast. I'm so excited for her to tell us all about it. So Rory, welcome and tell us more about you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. So the work that I do, I'm a LCSW, as well as I am a diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism leadership coach and consultant. And so the work I do is really helping individuals and organizations build their capacity to do anti-racism work and work DEI work. And a lot of the work is really focused specifically around how do we help white people build their capacity to do this work? What does that look like? What are the challenges? Why may people think that they don't need it? What's going on? And what are barriers to really creating racial equity and justice and really creating real change? Yes, thank you. The work is so needed. And we were just talking previous to the show starting. This is everyday work. This is work that is needed in every system, right? It it trickles down from the top, it's roots up, it's it's everywhere. So let's start the show actually by telling us, Rory, why would someone want to hire you? What is the point? Sometimes we get that pushback of, oh, we don't need to hire someone like this, or we don't need to do anything further than XYZ, or, you know, tell us more about the purpose and the necessity for this work. Right, right. Yeah. So I think a big piece of it is a lot of times when people are doing diversity, equity, inclusion work in, in corporate settings and nonprofit settings and anything like that, right? In workplaces, a lot of times it gets stuck in certain areas. And a big piece of that, why does it get stuck? Is there are often people that don't recognize why is it important, like maybe in leadership and often maybe a white person that's in leadership and doesn't recognize the uh, challenges or recognize the, not the importance, but is not seeing a lot of the things that are keeping the work stuck. And so there may not be funding put into it. There may not be time allotted for it. There, it's, it's often very performative versus actual real action, as well as a lot of times people don't see the overlap between professional and personal life, right? When we think of kids in schools, right? And what does it look like in these spaces and all of our systems and all of the organizations or communities that we're part of, what do these things look like? And how, how is it getting stuck that change isn't happening? And so A lot of the work that I do is really around helping people build the awareness, seeing what it really looks like. A lot of people are maybe in a place where they say, oh, I don't see color and not recognizing why that's harmful and how by they don't mean for it to be harmful, right? They're just trying to say, well, I think everybody is equal. But by saying that, they're saying, well, I don't recognize the beauty of somebody else, right? I don't see how how differences are great, right? So there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of actual work taking place and for real change because 
for me, I'm very passionate. Like, what does it look like to live in a safe, loving, and inclusive world? Mm, yes. So, so needed. So how did you, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit yeah, here. Yeah, how yeah. did you get started in this work? Yeah. So that is a great question. And it actually started as a teenager. So I grew up in a multiracial family. And so I am white and I have a sibling of color and we are close in age. So, I mean, there's many different sort of situations. I'll give a specific example, but one of the things was there were experiences that he was having that I was not having. And Mm -hmm. it was because of racism. And Mm -hmm. so my awareness to these issues around issues of race and racism was increased. And I became aware a lot sooner and earlier than many of my white peers. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a predominantly white area. And so I was seeing things that others weren't seeing. And it was, there was a lot of emotions that were coming up for me. There was a lot of frustration. I felt very isolated. I felt very alone. So that wanting to see change, like we both started driving around the same time, learned to drive, right? Same family, same parents teaching us all of that. He got stopped all the time and he would be harassed by police and I would be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So seeing these things made me say, well, what can I do? How can I make this stop? What change needs to happen? How do people not see this? It was this huge thing. And I was like, why doesn't anybody see what's happening? And so that led me to social work, which also led me to kind of in that I learned a lot through that and just through personal experiences and then went the path of, it was always something I incorporated as a social worker and then just kind of going full into really making this my focus. The specific stories that you were noticing, the things that were happening, realities that were happening that no one else was seeing. It's like you kind of can hear a little more awareness mm-hmm. when when white folks are noticing these things that are happening to their friends of different, you know, race, color, religion, etc. When they have more of a personal connection to it, I think is when eyes are a little more opened. Yes. But before that, there's such a disconnect and a block. Can you speak a little more about how can we as white people educate ourselves and become more aware of these things that, that it's, it's the reality, but maybe not the reality. Yeah. I think one of the things is just kind of even look around. And when we look around, like in our workplace in if we are connected to a faith-based institution, if our kids go to an after school program or a sports league, who is in those spaces and who is not in those spaces? Mm. What do the conversations look like around issues of race and racism in those spaces? What do conversations look like around diversity, equity, inclusion in those spaces? And so I think the awareness really starts with what does it look like in our life? Mm-hmm. And starting to recognize, well, what am I seeing versus what what maybe did I miss before? Another piece is also really the history. Like a lot of times we don't, because our school curriculums, most of that didn't teach us accurate history. Right. So most of us right now, we're trying to hurry up and, and learn it. There's like a little bit more like recognition of, oh, I missed this stuff. And so how do we learn the history that we missed around this? Yeah. So it's taking that active look around. It's taking the active step to educate about the past, the history, and even the current state of affairs. I know there's a lot of research and statistics, and I don't know if you have any prepared now that you want to share, but I'm thinking specifically of women of color receiving less of the pay scale as we kind of look at at the different pay scales. And so where can folks educate themselves on how these issues are presenting themselves in 
the systems where they might be isolated. And because, you know, if you're not talking about your pay or if pay's not posted, or, you know, if you're not able to look at other people's pay, you may not see these things or know that these things are happening. So can you talk a little bit more about where to get information and categories where we can see this that's more invisible? Yeah, no, I hear that. And I think, so I'm going to say right off the bat, I don't have any statistics off the top of my head, but related to that, I think one of the things that we as white people often get stuck on when we're trying to have these conversations, especially we're having them with someone who maybe doesn't even understand is like, well, I need to know a certain amount of things, right? I need to know the statistics. I need to know what it is. It's that we can do this work even if we don't have the actual numbers, right? We, we look at what happened just now, right? In Buffalo, right? We see this horrific tragedy. We see that this every day things are happening. That is enough for us to go ahead and work for change, even without knowing these numbers off the top of their head. And that's even when we're talking about like kind of this, this braver life. I think for me, that was one of the things that I won't always remember, right? What is the stat on this or what is that? And how can I speak up and work for change even though, right? How do I keep pushing forward? So I, you know, I love that you pointed that out. I mean, I do think, right, we can look at demographics like school-wise, right? We can go get that research. What are the demographics in our school? Like that stuff, or what's the demographics in our community? I did a presentation yesterday for an organization that is in a 95% white community. So we know, right, if that's the situation, likely what might be going on, right, in the school system, what might be going on in the area. And it, so we go historically, when we kind of look, how come it's that way and questioning, mm-hmm. right? What happened historically that this is how come the community is the way it is? Right. Right. That's great. And, you know, the stats piece. Yeah, you're right. I think that's a great point. It's like, show me the stats. And we don't even need to see stats to see what's happening in, in everyday life. But I think sometimes for me, stats are so jarring because it's, you know, especially for the things that we cannot necessarily see. And just knowing that there's racism, that there's acts of violence against our communities, our black communities, all colors and races, right? We've seen so many things happening. And it's like, how do we just step up? And I think that's where people get a lot of the stuck points too, is, okay, now what do I do about it? Yeah. How do I take the first step or the next step to protect and help and educate and advocate? Yeah. You know, and I think just kind of going back a minute, I think if people are like looking like, where can I find this information in most spaces with most things, right? There's going to be disparities. So if you just look at like racial disparities, like you're going to find those numbers. And then right, like saying, what can we do, right? How do I step up? What can I do? And I think the biggest thing is look in your life and look at an area where you see disparities and that's a place to start. It's a place to start a conversation. It's a place to bring it up. It's a place to say, you know what? I'm not going to stay quiet. I'm going to be actively anti-racist. I'm going to say something. I'm going to interrupt the fact that it's always been done this way. And so something needs to change. I could just give an example. So for social workers, we have a national association of social workers. I was in a local chapter meeting. And at one point I kind of looked around and was like, okay, the majority of people in this space right now are white women. And so I just pointed that out and me pointing that out began a conversation that wasn't happening. Mm. So just the fact to be able to say it. And I think that's one piece is just starting to recognize it and say, and helping others recognize that as well. And then how do we actually create change? And depending where we are, we can look at that as well. So it's bringing awareness, number one, to what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Starting the conversations. Absolutely. Can you describe a little bit more about when people sign up to work with you, 
What does that process entail? I do work both with individuals and with organizations. Yeah. And businesses. How would work with a one-on-one look like and work with a business look like? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the one-on-one way I start with people individually. So it's a coach, right? We coach for typically I do start with like a three month process with somebody. We typically meet every other week. But the work that we do is really we start to kind of, depending on what they're, what they're coming in, right? What is top of mind for them, right? Some people have more, they want to work on the more professional side and there's stuff, a lot of stuff coming up with work and they want to, they're just struggling. What can they do in their workplace? Other people have more personal stuff where it's like in my family, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm raising a child of color and I'm a white mom and I don't know, like, how do I navigate this? Or I want to, how do I raise my kid? Like, or I'm having an issue with maybe my parent or my sibling has a very different view than I have and where it's causing a lot of friction. So those are some of the things. So depending, I start where people are with whatever they're bringing in. And it's how do we build their capacity to do this work with who it is or in that space? So a big piece of it is, yes, we talk about the structure, like what does it look like? Why is it that way? Why are we feeling? We do a lot of emotions and communication as well. So like, what are the emotions that are coming up? What is causing that? And then we also talk about communication, right? What strategies do we need? Techniques do we need? What skills can we build so that we can have these conversations with people that don't see it the same way we do? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's even people may not have close relationships with people of color in their life. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's even that. How do I build these relationships or certain conversations feel uncomfortable? I don't know how to talk about issues of race and racism at work, or maybe that's something that now all of a sudden my organization is incorporating. And then the other side of it is how do I work with organizations is doing so a few different ways. One of the things I've done is work if there's like a diversity, equity, inclusion committee. So helping them as a committee to build their leadership. And so how do they as a committee feel confident to do this work? Because a lot of people, they don't necessarily have a strong background in that. Like when people come to it, right? They may have a desire and passion and they have some, some people may have a lot of experience, but some people may be more new to the work. And, and there's a lot of confusion around like, how do I do it? Or feeling not, not sure. How do I have the conversations? So we do a lot of that too, of building the leadership, building the confidence, what skills, what strategies, how do I go about this? That sparked a thought for me. I saw a post, I believe it was on LinkedIn recently. And I think, you know, in the corporate space and even in the higher ed space, there's been conversation about, you know, putting people on a committee instead of hiring folks like you who are doing the work, who have invested time and, and study and all of these and have the experience or the facilitation skills and things like that, or putting it on people of color to lead that charge when there is a lot of resources outside of the company or business or structure that are you know in this work and can really do a lot of that support. So I think you know there's there's an urging and a calling for companies and businesses to bring in specific third-party companies and, and things to do this DEI work. So glad you're here to share about that and, and that you're doing that work because it's so needed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. If you could share a piece of advice for somebody who is thinking about bringing up a conversation about race or racism mm-hmm. or inclusion or equity in their workplace, maybe they're a little nervous to do yeah. that. What are some steps in addition to contacting you? What might be some common suggestions of conversation starters or ways to go about that? Yeah. So I think two things. So if we hear something that we're like, oh, something feels off, right? Because sometimes something is said and we're not sure what to do or we're in shock. Mm -hmm. So if we see something where we want to like interrupt, Mm -hmm. one thing that sometimes I'll kind of I'll suggest to people is to just kind of say, because you may not know in the moment, right? Like something feels off or something like that. So to kind of say, you know, just 
I, I questioning something about what they said to give you a few more minutes to process yep. as well as kind of saying something about what you said feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're going to bring it up kind of out of nowhere and can bring it up as a questioning way, right? If they're feeling uncomfortable, sometimes also having, if there is anyone that can be a support for them, like if there is somebody else in their organization, could they practice it? I also think role play is helpful too. Like that's a big one, but something that they could say is, you know, I, I wanted to, to kind of talk to you about this and something I noticed is, or something I had a question about, or have you thought of this or, cause you want to, you want to bring it up in a way where you're inviting the other person to join and creating mm-hmm. the change with you. Okay. Sometimes what happens, I think for us as white people that have a stronger awareness of this mm-hmm. is we, because we get angry and upset as we should with the things mm-hmm. that are happening, Right. right that we may come in, in a more kind of with that to write, maybe more on the defensive versus mm-hmm. I need to connect and invite and, and check what we don't always know where that person's at either. Right. We, if their understanding or knowledge is not at the same place, ours is we need to make sure the conversation we're coming in with is closer to where they're understanding to help move that forward. Yes. That's good. Yeah. So seeking to clarify, to engage in a conversation. The other thing I wanted to clarify, because when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think that can include a lot of pieces, right? So can you clarify your focus? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think when anytime you're doing this work, right, there's intersectionality. So like all identities are of course included. And I always say I come with, a you know, the lens is a liberation lens. And so bringing all our identities. So for me, I'm also Jewish. And so that's an identity I come from. I'm also an interfaith family. So I always talk about, I always start off with like, I'm bringing a lot of identities into the space. And I think it's important Mm -hmm. for everybody to recognize all the identities that they're bringing into the conversation Mm -hmm. when we are doing this work. And so, yeah, I mean, when we think of diversity, right, there's so many different aspects of diversity. We often think of race, but there's also, right, there's gender, sexual orientation, ethnicity, right? age, geographical, right? Geographic location, like all different things. Right. So many different things. And so all of those things are yes, part of the conversation, mm-hmm. but my focus is often on helping to whatever working is of course, anti-racism work and racial equity and justice, but yes, all of those things are part of it. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Because there are different specialized focuses for this diversity, equity, and inclusion work. How do you bring balance and self-care into your life with all of the work that you do and some of those hard conversations to have? How do you support yourself, take care of yourself? So I love that question. And that's also one of the things that I do on my podcast, Racially Responsible also, yeah. is I, I love asking that question because I love to hear other ways people are doing it. Because I learn extra ways (laughs) that I think are helpful because I do think that it's hard, right? I don't think it's not something that I'm always like, I need to make sure that there's focus on it. So I do try to bring intentionality to it. So hearing and learning from others, what ways work, but very much checking in with myself. I try to be very conscious of my energy level. And if I feel that I'm at a low, I try to see what can I do both personally and professionally, like work, home stuff. How do I balance it? Right. I'm a mom too of two young kids. There's definitely like I feel like I'm always juggling a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I try to be very intentional. So I mean, I go for walks. I love to if I every morning I try to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one for me as far as like an actual concrete one. Today I did something I don't usually do, but I did some coloring. Yeah. <laughs> that one yeah. Every once in a while. And sleep, I try to as best I can to get as much sleep, like the sleep that I need. I feel like that's a big one. Yeah, 100%. I would definitely agree with you on that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Racially Responsible Podcast. Yeah. So the Racially Responsible Podcast is, is 
an opportunity for people to hear way different ways that we as white people can build our capacity to do anti-racism work. So I bring on guests and we talk about issues of race and racism. So it's an opportunity to learn, build your awareness. There's also people who do this work. So there's skill building involved. So we learn from other skills. People share their ways they do things. And I'd like to use it also as a way that I can model what this can look like and what these conversations, because they're hard conversations. Sure. And I'm going to be uncomfortable with conversations, even though like they're a guest on my podcast. It's yeah. still right. These aren't always easy topics and having them in a public forum can be uncomfortable. Sure. So that's what I do. And there are times also, I'm also big on like, we're going to make mistakes. And when we do, we have to work on repairing it. So if anyone listens to my podcast, you'll hear occasionally on an episode that I have something in, uh, in the beginning or the end, because I record the conversation that I do like a little edit afterwards or before that you may hear in this conversation, here's where I could have spoken differently. Here's mm-hmm. where I misspoke, or here's some of the things. Um, that came up. So I do try to do that and model as much as I can as well and work on it for myself. I feel like I'm always learning and growing too. Yeah. I think that's such a great aspect. Honestly, that feels very walking the talk of going back because you're right. Knowing our identities and owning, we bring our identities. So just being able to acknowledge the privileges that we have with our identity and the ignorance we have with our identity. We do a lot of work and, you know, we're going to make mistakes. But, you know, owning and acknowledging what we bring to the table. I mean, I will own and acknowledge my ignorance and fuck ups and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I know that's mm-hmm. happen, but I do prioritize this as something to continue to learn and grow in, in, in anti-racism work and share with others. So I think that's the other thing, too. I believe as a leader, especially yeah. a business leader and a person with a platform, you know, we need to be modeling, like you yeah. said, for other people, ways that we are trying to support and bring our communities together and really share helpful information. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big piece. So a lot of the focus I I talk about too, is like restorative practices and so restorative, so repairing harm. And so lots of we hear like restorative justice or something like that, but just ways we can use restorative practices in our everyday life as well. Can you give an example of what restorative justice and practices are? Yeah. So restorative justice is often used or should working on being more oftenly used, often used in, in sort of like the criminal justice spaces, right? In justice spaces, juvenile justice, criminal justice. So this idea of repairing harm. So we very much, right, go straight to detention, go straight to this incarceration. So what are alternatives to our incarceration? And so what are ways to repair harm when harm is done? And sometimes, and that's also around building communities. So sometimes schools use restorative practices mm-hmm. and they may have sort of a community meeting. So you're building community, And when harm is done, so when a kid maybe shouts out in class or gets up and walks out or whatever, has some issue, how do they restore the harm that was done? I don't know, take, steal something, something like that. How do they repair the harm that was done to the community? Right. I think of, I used to work at a university. For example, there was an incident where there was like swastikas painted on the walls, like different things like that. And there's a special task force specifically at the place that I worked where they would come together, try to pull in the parties and have some of that restorative conversation and communication and education. So being intentional about that is very important. And how do we, again, provide that education and advocacy and and support to the community because it does impact the community. Yeah. Even in an anti-racism parenting workshop that I was doing, raising anti-racist kids I did yesterday, Mm -hmm. talking about like, what does restorative practice even look like in parenting, right? When we start Mm -hmm. with young kids, how do we help kids fix, right? It's not when harm is done or when they're, you know, when they make mistakes or when they mess up. Right. What does it look like to walk them through the steps to repair that, whatever mm-hmm. age, right? Adolescents, young ones. So they're building these skills 
So they have these skills throughout their life, right? In the workplace, in school, right? In the different spaces. Starting early and preparing Mm -hmm. kids to be able to own and apologize and and make right what they've done. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love for you to share with folks how they can reach you, how they can find your podcast. It sounds like such an amazing resource. Thank you so much. Yes, my podcast, Racially Responsible, it's on, you can find an Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, everywhere you can find it. And to reach out to me, you can look up You Power Changed, find me on LinkedIn. I, so yeah, my, you can find my website is, is the letter U, power, P-O-W-E-R, change.com. You can email me there and I'd love to hear from people. Yeah, great. I will share all of these resources and I so appreciate you being here and the work that you do. And I encourage folks to listen to the podcast. Um, you know, we'll include more resources for you if you want to educate yourself. There are many anti-racism resources out now, which is great books, articles, so many things. So we will add that as a step in your journey to educate yourself and share if you have a platform, especially with others, share this information and education advocacy. You've been amazing. It's great to have you. Yes. And we'll see you all in the next episode. 